0: Recovery Elevator, episode 12.
1: When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, that's when you will come to AA. You, but you got to reach your bottom.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to my Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker available on iPhone and Android, I have been sober for eight months, two days, 12 hours and 56 seconds, which I am so proud of every moment and so happy to be sober with you guys today. On today's podcast, you guys are in luck. I basically have the Gandalf of sobriety. His name is Paul. He's got 34 years of sobriety, but unlike the Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings films, who's standing on top of the rock ledge with the staff saying, thou shall not pass, this Gandalf Paul, he's got his hand open reaching out to you. He's saying, take my hand, thou shall pass. I will help you in recovery and be there every step of the way if you would like. And that's the Paul, great name by the way, on the podcast with us today. That's how I met Paul. I went to an AA meeting about a year and a half ago. I had a hooded sweatshirt on. My hat was down. I basically crawled under the door. My butt was whooped. I was right in the middle of this battle with alcoholism. I simply couldn't stop drinking. I think at that meeting, I probably had maybe 12, 13 hours of sobriety. And halfway through the meeting, I was sitting there head down looking at my feet. And I hear this old timer Paul speak with sage wisdom. And halfway through his talk, he says, enough out of me. I want to hear from that guy over there. He could see it. I was beaten. I was defeated. And I looked up and there was Paul staring at me. And I said to myself, "Oh," f-. but I was forced to talk, which I can do in the comfort of my own home behind this microphone. But I really don't talk a lot at A meetings. But I probably got 45 seconds of sharing at the meeting, and then after the meeting, there were a couple guys that approached me as well as Paul, and we chatted. I got phone numbers. So Paul, thank you. You have been critical in my sobriety. So the topic for today's podcast, episode 12, is why today is the very best day to quit drinking alcohol because this is a progressive disease. I was going to have Maggie on the podcast for episode 12 to touch base with her to see if she made it through her very first trip in sobriety, But we got the dates wrong. It's actually going to be episode 13. This weekend right now, she is in Denver. So hopefully, Maggie, we will get you back on the show for episode 13, and you will be sober and tell us how you did it. And then I've got some you might be an alcoholic if lines from you, the listeners, after the interview. Okay, we are going to do a quick little exercise here, and it doesn't matter if you haven't quit drinking yet, you've tried, and you've had relapses, or you're in current recovery. Take a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen. If you're driving, simply do this in your head. Write down today's date. Look at that date. Don't forget that date. That date could be a milestone. That date could be one of many that gets the ball in motion towards that final milestone date. But write down the date. What that is, that list of three numbers, that number you're looking at right now is your best chance at quitting alcohol. And I got this from Elliot, who I interview in episode two, three, or four. He told me this on the phone before our interview. That date is your very best chance you have of quitting alcohol because this disease called alcoholism is a progressive disease. And your elevator, to reference the podcast title, is always moving up in recovery or it's always moving down. And even in recovery, your elevator can be moving down. But your addiction, your alcoholism is always moving up or down, it is always progressing. And if you're drinking, I'll let you take a guess which way that elevator is going. Every time you drink, your brain chemistry alters just a little bit more. And your elevator goes down just a little bit further. It might be a millimeter. It might be an inch. But in the podcast earlier, I talk about how alcohol kills by the millimeter, by the inch. Right? We are on the turtle speed, but your disease is always progressing. Now, let me give you a quick anecdote here. This podcast is not about me or my stories, but I do have a couple experiences that I could share with you. In 2013, I had quit for eight months. And in one day in late August, after simply not drinking, and that was my program, I drank. I relapsed. And after not drinking for eight months, at the end of the night after the gas stations closed, I had a bottle of hydrogen peroxide and rubbing alcohol next to my computer. And I was Googling which one I could drink to continue my buzz and it would do the least amount of harm to my body. And that was after I had consumed all the alcohol in the house. Because what happens to me as an alcoholic, when I drink, I can't stop. There was already a lot of alcohol in the house. Probably a small wedding party of 10 to 15 people could have used that alcohol supply for their wedding. But I drank all of it. 2.15 in the morning, I wasn't done. I was probably a 0.3 or a 0.35 actively typing on a keyboard, investigating how I could continue my buzz without robbing a gas station. And believe me, that thought went through my mind. But there was no ramp-up phase. There was no buildup of tolerance. I just picked up right where I left off. There was no stretching involved, no warm-up sprints. I was already at full speed, going down the freeway at 100 miles per hour with my addiction, with my alcoholism, because this disease is progressive. Sure, today is the best day to quit drinking. But, but Paul even says it in his interview. The best day truly is when you're ready. And if today is not that date written down on the piece of paper, then throw the piece of paper away. If you're not truly ready to quit drinking, it's not going to happen. This is all up to you. That's why you hear stories of people going to rehab, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I've heard somebody go 19 times to rehab, and on the 19th time, that was when they were ready to quit. So really, it's kind of a deceptive title. The absolute best time to quit drinking is when you're truly ready. And unfortunately, with this progressive disease, you might need to progress into a state that puts you in such a desperate spot where you are finally truly ready to quit drinking. And Paul says it really well in the interview. He says, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. There was a lot of times where I was just sick and tired after being drunk. But in the end, I was just that. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired with my anxiety, with my depression, with my shame and my guilt, and hiding this 10,000-pound gorilla on my back. And there's one thing that I cannot forget. And Paul says it in his interview, the ism, the ending of ism, stands for incredibly short memory. I cannot forget that if I drink today or tomorrow, I will pick up right where I left off. There is no calisthenics phase. There is no light jog around the park before the game. I'm right back in the middle of the game. It might as well be the fourth quarter. The game might nearly be over for me. I don't know, but there is no way. I can go through another summer or year of 2014. Before we get into the interview with Paul, I want to touch up on a couple things that he says. After 34 years of sobriety, you're going to hear him say one day at a time more than once. And if this sobriety guru is taking it one day at a time with 34 years of sobriety, I guess I also will take it one day at a time. He also says this disease is beautiful. And during the interview, I wanted to hit stop record and say, thank you, Paul. You have a great day. But that's not the case. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Paul. And what he meant by saying this disease is beautiful is the solution. What disease has a solution where you make yourself better and the community and you're helping other alcoholics simply by giving them a hand and bringing them to where you're at right now? So, Paul, I'm not quite there saying this is a beautiful disease, but hopefully one day I'll get there soon. And after 34 years of sobriety, Paul still attends several AA meetings a week. That's where I met Paul. And he says it's a great reminder for him to realize that it doesn't get any better out there. Out there is the drinking world. Because the ism, incredibly short memory, I'm starting to forget what it was like eight months ago. I can only imagine with the alcoholism in my head, if I have one year, two year, three year, 34 years of sobriety, How it will be a faint, distant memory in the back so I can see how guys like me who come in with their butts totally kicked remind him just how crappy it really is. And Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Paul to the podcast. Great name there. How are you, Paul?
1: Well, I'm fine. Another day and another opportunity.
0: There you go. Paul, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober?
1: Well, come, uh, it's, uh, I sobered up in December 4th, 1981, or I should say that was my last drink, and then I came into AA that day, you know, and uh, so it's been, it'll be coming up if I uh, continue to work the program one day at a time, and it'll be, what is that, 34 years this December, but it's, you know, like I've, said before and you've heard is whoever gets up the earliest in the morning has the most sobriety you know because this is one day at a time program
0: i have heard that but paul you did the math for me 34 years that's incredible and i'm doing some more math you are the person with the most sobriety so far that i have interviewed on this show and i've got a series of questions coming up but first off i curiosity is killing the cat what was what was prohibition like
1: Oh, I'm not quite that old, but I'll tell you, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, it was, uh, I don't know about that, but I'll <laughs> I'm, I'm tell you what, when I know you're kidding, but when I came in, you know, even back in 81, there was not a lot of this technology around, you know, and I I had to have that because, because I needed the old timers to really... Get tough with me. Tough love was the thing that was so important in my early sobriety.
0: Sure, Paul. And let's jump right into the podcast title, Recovery Elevator. Talk to me about your elevator. When did you decide to finally get off and stop drinking? And what led you to that point?
1: Well, I, it took me... Well, I as uh, I think I said in the first interview, alcoholism was... Uh, surrounded me. My first wife was being drunk and as a result of that, I, uh, I didn't really drink uh, a lot because we had two small kids and they were the most important thing to me other, other than, you know, trying to keep my wife from being uh, totally uh, addicted but she did become addicted and so so finally, you know, I started with Al Anon in 1976, and that was key for me of getting her finally in, uh, uh, it, towards the end of 76 after three t- treatment centers. She finally got uh, into AA and uh, continued to practice the program. So then I had to start looking at my own drinking, and you know, my kids never saw me drunk. I was the type of person that would go fairly long periods of time, but then when I I had a job which made me travel all over, uh, and uh, that's when I and uh, I had an unlimited expense account, so. When I went into various cities and stayed, I had friends there that were drinkers. And so that's when I really got into heavy drinking. And uh, it finally culminated me in realizing that uh, once I took that first drink, I always said I'll stop after three double martinis. Because I knew, is the alcoholic thinking, I knew... That once I got to three, I said, I'd say, oh, what's the use? And then I'd continue on. And, and a lot of those times led to blackouts. So that's when I realized, about in 1979, I realized that maybe I had a, a, a drinking problem because even though it was nothing similar to what my wife was, or my brother, or other alcoholics, that I have come to know. It was not the the amount or how often, it was what you did after you put that first drink in your mouth. So it took me another two years in order for me to finally get get on the elevator to sobriety because there's a, a slogan I really enjoy and that is the the elevator to sobriety is broken, but take the steps. and That's a key slogan for me. So I'm grateful. I mean, I the best thing that ever happened was becoming an alcoholic.
0: Now, Paul, talk to me a little bit about your drinking habits. Now, you just said... It's really not amount it's not an issue of the amount you drank or how often but what happens when you used to drink. I know for me I can't stop. And and tell me a little about about your drinking habits and and what happened to you when you did drink.
1: Uh you know I never had a drink in the morning okay. Uh, but it was the fact that when I decided to drink you know and this is the alcoholic thinking when I decided to have some fun or drink you know, I would purposely know that I could not stop. Uh, you know, a normal person, you know, that's why, you know, the only people that understand us is another alcoholic. You know, our humor that we hear about and we laugh about is, you know, they. they I can remember people saying, well, why don't you quit after three? I said, "Well, that's the way I know that I'm going to continue to drink." So, when I had made up my mind, and I was in an environment that I thought would not affect anyone other than myself, like when I traveled, that's when I would drink until I got drunk. And uh, uh, so, I, you know, it's, 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 I, and that was the hard thing, you know. Am I really an alcoholic? But, you know, I drank early before I got married, you know, when I was in college and so forth. And, you know, how many times at that early age I'd get up the next morning and have to go outside to see which way my car was parked so that I could tell the way that I had gotten home because I had blacked out. Now, you know, I haven't had a DUI, but I probably should have had I don't know, hundreds of DUIs when I drink, but those are the yes, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, uh, I mean, if I went back to drinking, I'm sure those yes would <clears throat> would occur, you know. So uh, I, you know, everyone has a different side. It's not the drinking so much, you know. Everyone drinks differently. Like you couldn't stop. I uh, when I'd made up my mind. And I said I was going to stop. I knew I wouldn't. Now, what rational person thinks like that, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, it's a a miracle that uh, I stopped when I did because, uh, you know, all my associates at work and so forth uh, never knew I was an alcoholic, you know? They... uh, now when I go out with the people that I used to work for, you know, and we go play golf someplace, they, they're they all normal, you know. I'll drop them off or something. They'll go in and they'll order their drink and they'll have my iced tea with it. A normal drinker doesn't think like we do. Mm-hmm. It's the thinking, uh, Paul. It's the thinking disease. It's not the, drinking is but a symptom of our problem. The real problem is our thinking, and that's what the big book. And, you know, that was the thing that uh, resolved resolved my attitude in AA. When it became, because I think my intelligence is very high, you know. All alcoholics don't realize how intelligent they are. <laughs> and, drink, and drinking destroys that intelligence, you know. So that's what, when I first came in, the old timers, you know, there wasn't all this apps and all this computer stuff and all that they just beat the crap out of you and that's what i needed (laughs) you know you know they said you know some of our people are too smart for this program but no one's too stupid and they all looked right at me (laughs) so (laughs) anyhow i i loved uh, i loved I mean, it's given me such a beautiful world, and that's what I see in the young... It's so hard. I, You know, I, I'm a pure alcoholic, and I'm not criticizing anyone that took drugs, so I don't have the... I didn't have the benefit of, you know, those that use drugs and alcohol, they got here a lot quicker than a pure alcoholic because of the dramatic effects of that, so... You know, you look today. Look how young you are. You know, I was forty-three when I came in. You know, now uh, forty, and I was at that time one of the youngest people in Seattle that came into AA. You know, so it's a whole alcohol AA. The fellowship changes over the years, and we have to accept that the disease today has probably because of drugs become far more powerful than mm-hmm. it was you know, 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, that doesn't mean that alcoholics don't go to the rock bottom, but that it takes them longer to get there than dual addicted people.
0: Absolutely. And listeners, I met Paul in an AA meeting, and he might as well have a long white beard because he has the wisdom of a thousand-year-old man. And when Paul speaks People listen. And Paul, you said something that caught my ear a long time ago in a meeting when I was still in the battle and struggling for my sobriety, but now we still take a day at a time. You said, alcohol destroys in this order, spirit, mind, and body, and then you heal in a reverse order. Can you explain to listeners about that concept? Because it was amazing when you said it, and I can't say it as well as you can, so I want to hear it again from you.
1: Okay, well, that's what I heard early in the program from the old timers, you know, that it's a threefold disease. That's why only an alcoholic can understand another alcoholic because it affects you in three ways physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And uh, as you go down the road to alcohol, to becoming a, an alcoholic, the first thing you lose is your spirituality. And I'm not talking religion. I'm talking about the spiritual principles like honesty, open mindedness, willingness, integrity, gratitude, and uh, humility, you know. And then the next thing you lose is your emotional uh, the stability in and, and and you know because you know a lot of times you need that drink the next day to get emotionally s-
0: stable you
1: know, and then the third thing is your physical you know when you, you you know when you finally reach the disaster where you you either take the drink or you commit suicide or you die. I mean, if you drink long enough, you will end up dying from cirrhosis of the liver or whatever. But then on recovery, the beauty of the disease and what makes it hard for younger people to understand is the recovery is just the opposite. Look how much better when you don't drink physically are. Then you start to get the emotional uh, stability and then you develop a set of spiritual principles And the only way you get that recovery in complete order, you know, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, is by working the 12 steps of the program of alcoholics, anonymous and being of service, and uh, passing the message on. An alcoholic can't keep the program to himself. Uh, as the, the, the maintenance steps tells you. You've got to continue to practice it, and you give it away. If you don't give it away, as you well know, Paul, if you don't give the, the, the program away, you lose the program. Very true. Because th- then you get back into your old stinking thinking, you know, oh, I'm so great, you know, I don't need AA, you know, and those that stop going to meetings don't know what happens to those that stop going to meetings. I mean, you know, just the other day, I knew of a person that had 14 years of sobriety, and now she went back out, and now she's in the uh, uh, women's program uh, for six months, similar to the men's watch program Mm. here in Montana.
0: So what do you think happens with somebody who has 14 years, and I think you hinted on it before, is they kind of rest on their laurels and and don't work a program, be it AA, be it any type of program, spirituality, working with other alcoholics, can can you comment on that? Is I'm I've almost at ten months, or I'm almost at eight months. Will there ever be a time, Paul, where I can just kind of cruise and put on the cruise control?
1: Well, if you do that, uh, I'll bet you, uh, I'll uh, I'll bet you that your misery re- will return. That's the this disease is beautiful. Now, did I believe that statement when I came in? <laughs> you know, I hope not. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, no, yeah, you can't, you know, but it is, you know, it. what is better than continuing to be of service to other people and your community and yourself, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, it, it doesn't matter because as you well know, early on, we've talked, about the progressiveness of this disease, you know, if you go back, you know, it's a downward trip. It's worse and worse and worse and worse. The trouble is you never subconsciously lose that. And I'll give you an example in a minute. Uh, and so, therefore, if you take that first drink, you start right where you were when you quit. Hmm. And that's the the, the thing people got to remember. And in the example I'll give you, you know, I think it was two years ago. I was out playing golf here and, uh, and it was a beautiful 80 or 85 degree day, you know. And, uh, I got through the golf course and playing around the golf and I leave the golf course and about four blocks or five blocks or something away from the golf course, there's this old beat up tavern that I would have never gone into it when I drank because I was a high so- society drunk, sure. you know, yeah. And I drove by there and I had, Thought of a drink probably in I don't know how many years. So, this was two years ago. So, I had 31 years of anxiety, And the thought came by into my mind instantaneously wouldn't a cold beer taste good? Wow. And the answer is yeah, I loved drinking cold beer on a warm afternoon, but then immediately. I said the Serenity Prayer and said the first step, and the thought left. So that just shows you your subconscious mind is never cured of alcoholism, and it is remembers that where you were, and goes start right up there if you go back to drink, and that's the hideousness
0: of this disease. Paul, you mentioned earlier in that st- in that sentence that it was alcoholism is a progressive disease. I'm glad you said that because the topic of this podcast is how today is the best day to quit alcohol or to quit drinking alcohol because it's a progressive disease. You will not have a better chance than today than quitting drinking. And and talk to us a little bit more about how alcoholism is a progressive disease and why today is the best day.
1: If you truly, if you truly feel you need to quit, that is your best day of your life. And you know, ism. You know, the end of you know, alcohol ism, ism, I S M, incredibly short memory, because that's the, the key to this disease. So if you quit working the program, then your your incredibly short memory is tells you, yo, you don't you don't have a problem anymore. You're cured, so you can drink. How many meetings have you been in, Paul, where it says, I thought now that I'm sober for six months or a year or two years or three or even, you know, I know people with thirty some years that have gone out because they quit going to meetings. They says, I can take one drink today. That's not gonna you know. Yeah, one drink that day, and then the next day or the day after, it's a couple, and then they're right back to where they were in the progression of this disease.
0: I-S-M, incredibly short memory, because that's exactly what it is. In my short eight months of sobriety, nearly eight months, I'm starting to forget how crappy it really was just eight months ago, and it is an ism. It is incredibly short memory. Now, Paul, we have reached the rapid-fire round, where these are quick questions. We can give 20- to 30-second answers if possible, and if, if you go over, no worries. But here we go. Number okay. one, Mr. Paul, what was holding you back from quitting drinking 34 years ago, just a year before Pac-Man came out? Wow, that's old.
1: Uh-oh. I don't even remember the <laughs> hell that kills me. It's a great game, Paul. What, what, you should check it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, still around. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but, you know, it. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of good times, okay. But when I decided to truly drink, the misery set in and the guilt that I felt and the remorse and the regret. You know, that's what drove me into this program, finally.
0: And, Paul, what is your favorite resource in recovery?
1: Going to AA, reading the big book, working with others, and going to AA meetings. I love uh, beginners because, you know, the most important person to me is the beginner that comes in. I get tired of listening to people like me talk in an AA meeting. I want to be reminded on a daily basis that it doesn't get any better out there. And that's what is so important to me. Hearing new people come in and reminding me daily that it is not a place to drink and be drunk.
0: And Paul, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Keep coming back. It gets better and better. This old-time guy that, you know, he didn't have anywhere near my education. Byrne was his name. And he became famous for this statement. It gets gooder and gooder and gooder. And, you know, it was... it was those simple things that this intelligent human being had to get told, you know. And and so it it is you you got you got the, this other guy that was the head of the Hell's Angels where I sobered up says these are the things you got to do: is go to meetings, get a sponsor, read the big book, work the steps, and follow directions. And then he'd repeat those words. Four or five times. And that's the stuff I needed to hear. So sorry for the time on this question.
0: No, great stuff. And last question, Paul what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or are in early recovery?
1: Well, uh, the, in early recovery, it is a tough time in early recovery or quitting drinking. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, that's when you will come to AA. You, but you've got to reach your bottom. Now, early sobriety is not easy. I used to ask, well, just give me, you know, being a scientist and an engineer, just give me the equation. Uh, that's all I want. And now I've asked, how does this program work? And these old-timers say it was very well very slowly. Now that really torqued me off. But that's it. You don't come into one AA meeting and walk out and celebrate what I've had now at 34 years. you got to take I can remember my first meeting. I walked out. I didn't remember a thing, single thing that was said in that first meeting mm-hmm. because my mind was racing 180 miles an hour. So early sobriety is, there's a meeting here that deals with early sobriety, and I go to that. And I've got to re- be reminded what early sobriety is, because if I went out after 34 years, I'd be brack, no different than the newcomer that just came in, because my old thinking would have returned.
0: Now, Paul, let's talk about your 34 years of sobriety. And you mentioned you don't have a DUI, and we spoke a while back. That's because you have an RHUI, that's riding horses under the influence with 34 years of sobriety <laughs> in your old age. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. On that.
1: yeah, I know, but <laughs> I did ride horses, okay?
0: Yeah, <laughs> Way did back, yeah. Yeah, I
1: know.
0: But talk to me what you've seen in this 34 years of sobriety. I'm sure you've seen fads, and I'm talking about recovery tactics. I'm sure you've seen fads and systems and programs and pills and and new tapes and new books and new podcasts, right? To help people with recovery but what has changed and what hasn't changed, right? And you are still doing the 12th step which is the best step of any program is working with other alcoholics service work, paying it forward. What is consistent in recovery and has not changed over the 34 years?
1: Well, it's like I said, AA meetings, you know, they've changed some, I mean, Uh, because, you know, there's a lot more. You know, when I came into AA, for example, the old timers didn't allow addicts in because Hmm. Tradition 3 was the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Okay, and uh, at that time in 81, they started to send people into meetings with their courts to be signed, you know, court slips like we sign now. Mm-hmm. And the old-timers would say, do you have a desire to stop drinking? And uh, a lot of the times these guys, no, we just got to get this signed. And then say, just sign it yourself and get the hell out. But now there's more tolerance for that. And it's true. It's that uh, things have changed. But the basics are still the same. It's amazing how Bill W. and Bob, uh, and Bob, uh, Dr. Bob wrote this stuff, you know, what, 1936, I think, I'm getting old, but, you know, uh, and the first 164 pages hasn't changed, you know. Now, there's a lot more out there, you know, there's, you know, there's magazines, you know, the grapevine has come in, uh. Uh, but the key essence is if you really want to you gotta stick to the AA-approved material. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, I read books. I read books that are written by other uh, alcoholics and so forth. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But the basic method of working the, the program and working the steps and doing what the steps say is the key to recovery.
0: Paul, tremendous stuff. I have an incredible amount of respect for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Recovery Elevator podcast. Thank you.
1: You bet. Thank you, Paul.
0: You might be an alcoholic if, and this comes from Craig out in Spain. You might be an alcoholic if, when your coworkers go to the cafe during the coffee break and you say you need to go check on your car and you dive into a bar for a couple of quick vodkas, you might be an alcoholic. You might be an alcoholic if you head to the bar early to get a two to three beer head start on your friends before they arrive to meet you at the bar later. You might be an alcoholic if you top off your dad's vodka bottle with water and his scotch bottle with tea after you secretly drunk his booze. You might be an alcoholic if you finish off the wine and beer your guests have left in their glasses after they've already gone home from the party that you just had and you're washing up in the kitchen. If you've got some good you-might-be-an-alcoholic ifs, Email them to me at info at I've got some big news, Recovery Elevator. After several emails asking if I could set up a forum or a Google Hangout or some sort of group, I've done just that. It's the Recovery Elevator Accountability Facebook group. If you'd like to be part, simply email info at recoveryelevator.com and include your email address that is associated with Facebook, and we'll add you to it. It's just another resource to have in your back pocket. Literally, pun intended, in your pocket, your mobile phone, pull it out. Let us know your struggles, we are all there to help you. And I'm no guru on this myself. I've only been sober a little over eight months. I'm still in early recovery and sobriety, and I need help. When you reach out and email me, that helps me stay sober, and thank you for that. Recovery elevator, you took the elevator down, you gotta take the stairs back up, you can do this.